This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, and welcome back to The Corporate Casket, a series where bad businesses go to die. In today's episode, we are going to be continuing on into part two all about Facebook. And this is prior to its change to Meta and whatever mess it's dealing with right now. Today, we are going to be starting off part two really, really rough. And please know that this very first section is going to be mentioning genocide and sexual assault. So if that's upsetting for you, make sure to skip ahead. After that, we'll get into some of the updates surrounding Facebook and where do we go from here? So let's get into it. Myanmar may have used disproportionate force against Rohingya Muslims, but there is no proof of genocidal intent. That is the defense of the country's de facto leader, the Nobel Peace Prize laureate Aung San Suu Kyi, addressing the International Court of Justice, where her country stands accused of genocide. She blamed the violence that forced hundreds of thousands to flee Rakhine State on an internal armed conflict. She made no reference to graphic accounts heard by the court of mass killings, gang rapes, All of this happens on an international scale. Although we've seen these scandals take place in the Western world, these scandals affect everyone across the globe. Facebook's intent may be to bring people together, but there can absolutely be no denying in how instrumental they've proven to be at tearing people apart. In Myanmar, for example, in spring 2018, some 700,000 members fled the country amid a military crackdown and ethnic violence. A United Nations investigator said that Facebook was used to incite violence and hatred against a Muslim minority group. The platform had turned into a beast, she said. Reuters reports, the anti-Rohingya and anti-Muslim invective analyzed for this article, which was collected by Reuters and the Human Rights Center at UC Berkeley School of Law, includes material that's been up on Facebook as long as six years. The poisonous posts called the Rohingya or other Muslims, dogs, maggots, and rapists suggested they be fed to pigs and urged they be shot or exterminated. The material also includes crudely pornographic anti-Muslim images. The company's rules specifically prohibit attacking ethnic groups with violent or dehumanizing speech or comparing them to animals. The use of Facebook to spread hate speech against the Rohingya in the Buddhist majority country has been widely reported by the UN and others. David Madden, a tech entrepreneur in Myanmar, said that he told Facebook officials as early as 2015 that its platform was being exploited to ferment hatred. For many in Myanmar's emerging economy, it's the only site they use online as it's so dominant. Even though these officials like Mia Garlic, the company's director of Asia Pacific policy were warned, none of them took the necessary steps. Now, the Myanmar military stands accused by the UN of having conducted a brutal campaign of killings, mass rape, arson, and ethnic cleansing against the Rohingya people. Though the posts have clearly violated Facebook's policies, it's disturbing how the hate speech has spread there. Back in 2012, as little as 1% of the population even used the internet in Myanmar. However, in 2013, when telecommunications was deregulated and the price of SIM cards dropped, Facebook thrived. Many saw it as an all-in-one solution, messaging, news, entertainment. It also became a status symbol, even grandmas. Everyone was on Facebook. Facebook didn't create racism and Facebook didn't put a weapon in these people's hands. 
but they accelerated the problem and did little to stop the dangerous spread of hate. For example, their entire system for reporting problematic posts was in English, despite Myanmar users often posting in Burmese. Back in 2014, Facebook only had one singular content reviewer that even spoke Burmese, and in 2015, they only had four. And to make this perfectly clear, that's four people to manage the posts of 7.3 million active users. There's simply no way they could be effective. Those people were set up to fail. The New York Times too has described this as a genocide incited on Facebook. The military has gotten a lot of benefit from Facebook, said Thet Si Win, founder of Synergy, a group that focuses on fostering social harmony in Myanmar. I wouldn't say Facebook is directly involved in the ethnic cleansing, but there is a responsibility they had to take proper actions to avoid becoming an instigator of genocide. Senator, what's happening in Myanmar is a terrible tragedy and we need to do more. we, We all agree with that. Okay. But you and investigators have blamed, you blame Facebook for playing a role in their genocide. We all agree it's terrible. How can you dedicate and will you dedicate the resources to make sure such hate speech is taken down within 24 hours? Yes, we're working on this. And there are three specific things that we're doing. And speaking of other countries, there's also those that would even attempt to influence or control other countries using Facebook itself. The documentary I mentioned in part one discusses how Russians would create Black Lives Matter protests and simultaneously opposing protests like Blue Lives Matter, seemingly deepening the divide in the States, all while operating in Russia. These Russian disinformation campaigns are going after social movements like some dark puppet master in the background. Russia, a country that is known for their racism and discrimination, has had a role in exploiting racial injustice in the US, and according to one source. This instance is hardly the first time Russia has sought to exploit U.S. racial issues, particularly police and civilian violence towards African-Americans for domestic and geopolitical purposes. During the 2016 presidential election, Russian operatives targeted African-American communities with disinformation, including posts on police mistreatment of African-Americans and posts on Instagram promoting black women and beauty. The internet research agency also created content on YouTube that focused on the Black Lives Matter movement. In September, 2017, multiple black activist accounts were found to have had ties to the Russian government. They regularly shared content intended to stoke outrage and both accounts continually posted videos of police violence against African-Americans. One of these accounts had more than 360,000 likes, which was more than the verified Black Lives Matter account at the time, which had just over 301,000. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that these accounts shouldn't share or discuss racial injustice, but the matter of intent starts to matter here. Do these Russians actually care about racial equality? It doesn't seem like it, not when they're also promoting Blue Lives Matter or back the badge movements. Instead, their goal seems to be to incite violence and deepen the divide felt by so many here in the States. I could be incredibly wrong, I can't know their motivations, but I think it's safe to assume that they don't have good intentions. And of course, there's how Russians influenced voters on Facebook as well. NPR explained on September 24th, 2020, that despite Facebook removing several hundred fake accounts linked to Russian military intelligence, they were insistent that this had nothing to do with the presidential election. Nathaniel Gleicher, Facebook's head of security policy, said in a blog post that the operations did not focus on the US, gained little following, and did not directly target the 2020 presidential election. But he warned that they are linked to actors associated with election interference in the US in the past, including the leak of hacked emails from the Democratic National Committee and Hillary Clinton's campaign four years ago. 
Such hack and leak operations are one of the threats we're particularly focused on and concerned about ahead of the November elections in the US, Gleiker wrote. US intelligence officials have warned that Russia is seeking to spread disinformation that would undermine former Vice President Joe Biden's campaign. This is a step in the right direction, but it was taken far too late. After all, these accounts were taken down in 2020, but many news outlets were calling attention to these Russian accounts in 2017. So why did Facebook hesitate? It's just ridiculous to me how Facebook can claim to care about the election integrity and be committed to it when months later during the 2020 election, Facebook's rules were still being abused. Four out of five US-based operations exposed as abusing their policies were far-right organizations as well one of whom the marketing form Rally Forge had hired a staff of teenagers to purportedly sow disinformation. Other operations were affiliated with QAnon, criticizing immigration and promoting white identity. The problem has grown beyond Facebook's control. Zuckerberg created a monster and I don't know what a few privacy settings are gonna do to really fix this. This issue has evolved over time and become by the looks of things, almost impossible to control. Aside from the problems Facebook has overseas, they've had quite a few benefits overseas as well, like avoiding taxes. This has become another point of contention for many seeing as they've avoided billions of dollars in taxes from setting up entities in Ireland where the corporate tax rate is low. Although this issue isn't nearly as serious as genocide, it still sets up the precedent that Facebook has consistently gotten away with just about anything it wants. Not only are they on the hook for potentially $9 billion in taxes, but the IRS themselves hasn't been able to move forward with the case because of budget cuts. ProPublica even reported that the IRS wasn't able to afford an expert to battle Facebook in court in their article, Who's Afraid of the IRS, Not Facebook. In the past, the IRS has done everything they can to crack down on corporations that move profits to Ireland for the purpose of avoiding taxes. They've gone after Microsoft, for example, before Republicans within the House proposed massive cuts to the IRS budget, leaving them scrambling to properly audit other large corporations like Facebook. Plus, even when the IRS did demand Facebook turn over any relevant information, they haven't exactly been cooperative. Facebook has either turned in so little that it's useless or they've turned in so much that it's been overwhelming. And either one is often turned in weeks, if not months after the request is made. Facebook is far from the only company that's employed these frustrating and shady tactics when dealing with the IRS, but with them in particular, it's gotten so bad, the IRS had to consider a designated summons. This powerful tool stops the clock on the statute of limitations until a taxpayer turns over all requested documents. They've only used it three times since the mid 1990s, the most recent instance being in 2014 with Microsoft. The IRS ultimately issued a conventional summons against Facebook, forcing them to turn over documents while the clock still ticked. According to ProPublica, the IRS concluded based on its incomplete analysis that Facebook's Irish subsidiary has underpaid for Facebook's software platform by $7 billion. The subsidiary had paid $7 billion when it should have paid $14 billion. If the IRS's view prevailed, less profit would flow to Ireland and thus more income would be taxable in the US. As expected, Facebook soon filed a challenge to the US tax court. This case has slowly but steadily been moving forward. In December, 2020, Facebook decided to close the Irish holding companies down, claiming that they believed it would align with their operating structure. And that's all without mentioning how they likely use these holdings to avoid billions and billions in taxes. Facebook's tax strategy has actually mirrored Google's in an arrangement known as the double Irish Dutch sandwich. It's a silly fun name for a serious tax loophole that Ireland phased out at that time in late 2020 under pressure from the European Union and the United States. 
This sandwich is made with a variety of shell companies across the globe in order to shift revenue to affiliates without income tax. Someone just has to transfer IP to an Irish registered company in Bermuda, license it to a Dutch company, sub-license it to an Irish company, then send the royalties, profit from the IP, back to the Dutch company. There's a few charts online that help visualize how this process works, and I can link one of them in my sources down below, but it's kind of messy. Though Google had to abandon this method, Forbes claimed that Facebook utilized a similar scheme and made their own sandwich a little bit differently, utilizing the Cayman Islands as part of this double Irish deal. So perhaps their sandwich was a double Irish Cayman sandwich? Regardless, they've defended it, and Facebook spokesperson said that Dublin was selected because it was the best location to hire staff with the right skills to run a multilingual high-tech operation. I don't doubt that some of these folks are fantastic, technical, intellectual people. But why, you know, what's the real reason for putting your headquarters there? Was it to avoid paying so much in taxes? This fringe benefit seems especially hard to ignore when you consider the billions and billions that Facebook got out of it. To say that Facebook got into trouble because of this would probably be a gross understatement. As of writing this, they're in the midst of the $9 billion lawsuit from the IRS. So it's far too soon to predict what's going to happen, but no matter the outcome, this will have massive consequences. If the IRS loses, it could mean that other companies will follow in Facebook's footsteps. If they get away with it, why not someone else? But if the IRS wins, then Facebook will receive a tax bill bigger than the FTC settlement that they had earlier and potentially dissuade other companies from using similar tactics. Plus, as Reuters explains, there's also the potential of interest and penalties tacked onto this, so it could be even greater than $9 billion when all is said and done. The trial was actually originally set for June, 2020, but because of the pandemic, it was delayed. The first portion of their tax trial in San Francisco has wrapped up, but the second portion in Washington, DC will be far more technical and focus on testimony from more economists, tech specialists, and other experts. Now, before we go on to talk about the Facebook whistleblower, I just wanna take a quick moment to thank today's sponsor. We all love to shop online and we all love to save online, especially during this past year and this year and probably for a little bit more than that, we're gonna keep shopping online. So while we're shopping online, why not maximize each paycheck with a little coupon code? But sometimes those are hard to find too, right? Well, that's why you need Honey, the shopping tool that scours the internet for those promo codes and automatically applies the best ones to your cart. Honey supports over 300,000 stores online. And the best part is once you install the Honey extension in your browser, you don't have to do anything. When you're ready to check out from whatever you're shopping for, the Honey button drops down and it's got this cute little dancing coin and you just click apply coupons and that's it, it does the work. I've used Honey for years now. I can't even remember when I started, maybe 2018 or 2019, but long before I even became a YouTuber. And Honey has always been there for me. It doesn't matter if I was buying like something for my house, maybe like a new piece of furniture, or if I was doing clothing shopping or electronics or whatever, Honey has always been there with a coupon ready. So if you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out on free savings. It's free and it installs in just a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting the show. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com casket. That's joinhoney.com casket. The holiday seasons are approaching us. And while we're looking for gifts and things, special ones for our loved ones, friends, and family, perhaps it's time to remember to give the gift of happiness to yourself as well. And I think it comes as no surprise that I am listening to Sexual Healing while I'm recording this because it fits ever so perfectly. 
And that's why today we're also talking about Adam and Eve. That's because Adam and Eve has everything to take care of yourself, make yourself feel a little better, happier over the holiday season, or maybe try something new with you and your partner or partners. I don't care what you're up to. They've got lingerie, games, movies, toys, and so much more. Plus Adam and Eve offers 24 seven customer service and 90 day no hassle returns. So if anything goes wrong with your order, just let them know and they will get it taken care of. Plus Adam and Eve is out here doing some good in the world too. 20% of their profit goes to fight the spread of HIV all around the world. So if you wanna try Adam and Eve and see what you could be spicing up your holiday season with, make sure to go to adamandeve.com and use code casket for up to 50% off one item and free shipping in the US and Canada. Some exclusions do apply, so make sure to check that before you check out. adamandeve.com, use code casket. Explosive whistleblower testimony, a former Facebook product manager telling Senate lawmakers that Facebook knowingly harms its users. I believe Facebook's products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. The company's leadership knows how to make Facebook and Instagram safer, but won't make the necessary changes because they have put their astronomical profits before people. Almost no one outside of Facebook knows what happens inside of I wanna take some time to talk about the Facebook whistleblower that stepped forward and the new documents that have been revealed. In October, 2021, Francis Haugen claimed that Facebook knows that hateful misinformation content engages people better and therefore they aren't shutting it down. She says that even though it's not like she believes Mark Zuckerberg ever intended for this to happen, these tragedies are the side effects of the decisions he and the higher ups have made. This is absolutely a developing situation, so I can't definitively confirm all the allegations, but it certainly falls in line with everything we've heard about Facebook thus far. The New York Times wrote on October 2nd, Facebook has been in an uproar for weeks because of the whistleblower who has shared thousands of pages of company documents with lawmakers and the Wall Street Journal. The journal has published a series of articles based on the documents, which show that Facebook knew how its apps and services could cause harm, including worsening body image issues among teenage girls using Instagram. Facebook has since scrambled to contain the fallout as lawmakers, regulators, and the public have said the company needs to account for its revelations. On Monday, Facebook paused the development of an Instagram service for children ages 13 and under. Its global head of safety, Antogne Davis, also testified on Thursday as irate lawmakers questioned her about the effects of Facebook and Instagram on young users. This article was released before Francis' identity is known as an aside. While I can't review every single document that Francis revealed to the Wall Street Journal, I was able to look at their article and see some of the most important points and takeaways they published after obtaining the documents. The first is the fact that Facebook's rules don't apply to all. Wall Street Journal claims that a program known as CrossCheck or XCheck was created as a quality control measure for high profile accounts, but today it quote, shields millions of VIPs from the company's normal enforcement, end quote. Many abuse this privilege, posting harassment and materials that incite violence, though Facebook says they're working to fix the issue. The second accusation is that Facebook knows Instagram is toxic specifically for teen girls and doesn't care. Although this is unfortunately pretty expected and unsurprising, the documents backing this up are damning. The Wall Street Journal alleges that Facebook had played down Instagram's negative effects to Congress and hasn't made its research public or available to academics and lawmakers that ask for it. If Facebook knows Instagram has such damaging mental health effects, then why on earth would they think it's a good idea to make an Instagram for children? Hint, it's not a good idea and their reasoning likely has something to do with money, but that's just my theory. 
The third point is that after Facebook changed their algorithm in 2018, their platform only became angrier. The Wall Street Journal writes, within the company, the documents show staffers warned the change was having the opposite effect. It was making Facebook and those who used it angrier. Mr. Zuckerberg insisted some fixes proposed by his team, the documents show, because he worried they would lead people to interact with Facebook less. Facebook in response says any algorithm can provide objectionable or harmful content and that the company is doing its best to mitigate the problem. The biggest thing here for me is how can you say that Zuckerberg didn't intend to do harm if he actively ignored this? Perhaps Mark didn't actively promote violence, but his negligence condoned it and accepted it. This feeds into the fourth point that the Wall Street Journal makes when they claim that Facebook employees actually flagged drug cartels and human traffickers on the platform, but the company's action was often minimal, if even existent. Again, I understand that Facebook is overwhelmed with misinformation and flagged posts, but to ignore alerts about human trafficking, I just don't really see how you can justify an excuse for that. It just seems to be further evidence that their system is broken. The fifth point made is that Zuckerberg has no control over the platform. It said that Mark and Facebook threw their weight behind promoting COVID vaccines, and yet anti-vaxxers were still able to flood Facebook with content to help fuel vaccine hesitancy. This entire point can be summed up by this quotation. Even when he set a goal, the chief executive couldn't steer the platform as he wanted. While the freedom of speech is important, we still need consequences for dangerous speech. If Facebook can't be trusted to monitor and safeguard their own platform, then clearly they need other people in charge. The sixth point, and yes, I know this does feel endless, is especially upsetting. The Wall Street Journal reads, Facebook has come under increasing fire in recent days for its effect on young users. Inside the company, teams of employees have for years been laying plans to attract preteens that go beyond what is publicly known, spurred by fear that it could lose a wave of users critical to its future. Why do we care about tweens, said one document from 2020. They are a valuable but untapped audience. Adam Mosseri, head of Instagram, said Facebook is not recruiting people too young to use its apps. The current age limit is 13, but is instead trying to understand how teens and preteens use technology and to appeal to the next generation. So essentially, Facebook doesn't care about its effect on users unless they can earn them money. And again, we already knew this, but there's something about knowing that these new documents prove it, it's both validating and disheartening. And of course, for a seventh point, Facebook yet again knew about teens' mental health suffering on Instagram, but did nothing. The Wall Street Journal reiterated this because they have actually published the documents that prove this. Anyway, point nine from Wall Street Journal questions the power dynamics at Facebook, suggesting that Sheryl Sandberg's power in particular has been shrinking over the years. Sheryl was the one that announced Facebook moving to international headquarters in Ireland and as the COO has had a massive influence at Facebook over the years. And she too has been at the center of several controversies. One article has accused her of lobbying the prime minister of Taisha, making it apparent that Facebook is interested in who he would appoint as the next data protection commissioner. The previous DPC, Billy Hawks, has been incredibly good to Facebook, refusing to investigate spying claims on the grounds that Facebook was entitled to send data to the EU to the US under the EU Commission safe harbor provisions. Yet as those grounds were being appealed, Sandberg wanted to be sure that Hawks' successor would be prepared to defend Facebook once again. Or in Sandberg's words, Hawks was a strong candidate and a hard act to follow. One of her emails reads, I also want to commend you once again for your leadership during your presidency of the EU. You made enormous progress. 
When it came to the European data protection regulation, you and your staff really internalized our concerns and were able to present them in a reasonable way, which has had a positive impact. We hope we can rely on you for your continued leadership on this regulation since we still have more work to do here. Along the same lines, I was pleased to hear that you are also involved in the OECD working group process on tax reform. These discussions will be very complicated and important, and we hope to be helpful to you identifying the implications with different options for future investments and growth in Europe. We are keen to collaborate with your office on this, just as we have on the DPR. And gee, I wonder why Sandberg would be so interested in Ireland's government appointees. Cheryl has plenty of other controversies, some of which surrounded her book, Lean In, and its message of, if a woman works hard enough, she'll thrive, to which I say, as Michelle Obama bluntly stated, that shit doesn't work all the time. Other controversies are more serious in nature, like her attempts to distract from misinformation and Russians using the platform to influence the 2016 election. If she is truly losing influence, it sure seems like a good thing. On the other hand, I'm curious where it's going because I'm not confident in Facebook's ability to designate power and control. The last important point we touched on earlier is the fact that Frances, the whistleblower, claims she truly doesn't want to end Facebook, just fix it. She doesn't believe Facebook encourages bad content or does nothing to stop it, but that they're unwilling to do more or enough to stop its spread. She claims she's trying to draw parallels between Facebook and tobacco companies to seek a similar level of regulation. After all, tobacco companies lied about harmful health effects in their products, and after a landmark settlement with 46 state attorneys general, five territories, and DC, they were no longer allowed to market to young people. Lawmakers from both parties agree that her revelations could, quote, mark a turning point in the years-long effort to put guardrails on social networks, end quote. One of the newest ideas we've seen proposed is the concept of regulating the algorithm itself. One of the consequences of how Facebook is picking out that content today is it's optimizing the content that gets engagement or reaction, she said on the CBS show 60 Minutes. But its own research is showing that content that is hateful, that is divisive, that is polarizing, it's easier to inspire people to anger than it is to other emotions. If the algorithm itself can't continually promote this divisive and hateful content, this sure seems to be a step in the right direction. As Time Magazine puts it, Facebook won't fix itself. And time and time again, we've seen that it either can't or is unwilling to take genuine steps needed to do so. Congress needs to protect people's privacy. Time author Roger McNamee suggests a ban on surveillance capitalism altogether, comparing it to the 1938 ban on child labor. The many industries that employed child labor complained then that they could not survive without it, he wrote. On the other hand, some articles state that regulation won't be enough. One Barron's article called Facebook's Problems Have Grown, The Bill to Regulate It Hasn't, interviews Paul Gallant, the managing director of the Cowan Washington Research Group. Gallant says it's possible Washington's flare up over Facebook will actually materialize into a market affecting government move, but history suggests it won't. Plus Democrats and Republicans haven't really come to an agreement on anything that they're trying to solve, which makes any prospects for legislation pretty limited. Whether you agree with the changes to the newsfeed in 2018 only cause more damage, whether you think Facebook is like a dystopian corporation with an intent to harm or just some overwhelmed, negligent, out-of-touch executives, that's up to you. Facebook can be a fantastic tool to connect friends, sure, but in the wrong hands, as we've seen, it's so incredibly dangerous. I can't even begin to cover half the questionable things Facebook has even done today, but these were simply some of the worst or most worrying to me. The more I learn, the more I agree with those that state data rights are human rights. 
And it's sad that whenever we click a terms and conditions box, we expect to be signing away our rights. It shouldn't be this way. The Center on Human Rights Education reads, data privacy is in fact a right guaranteed in the United Nations International Bill of Human Rights as contained in the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. A general comment adopted by the Human Rights Committee in 1988 added the following to Article 17 of the ICCPR, the right to privacy. The gathering and holding of personal information on computers, data banks, and other devices, whether by public authorities or private individuals or bodies, must be regulated by law. Every individual should have the right to ascertain in an intelligible form whether, and if so, what personal data is stored in automatic data files and for what purposes. Even though UN officials have unequivocally included personal data as a human right, treaties such as the ICCPR only apply to signatory governments. Companies like Google do not have the same restrictions and obligations. And unfortunately, I don't know what the answer is here. I don't know if the answer is more regulation, more laws revolving around what companies can and can't do with data to be put in place, or if there just needs to be more alternatives to Facebook. For better or for worse, many people depend on Facebook. When they and Instagram went down for nearly five hours, the impact was extreme. One startup founder, Mark Donnelly from Ireland, said that they lost thousands in sales for their fashion brand focused on mental health. It may not sound like a lot to others, but missing out on four or five hours of sales could be the difference between paying the electricity bill or rent for the next month, he said. A food delivery service owner in Delhi said he couldn't reach clients or fulfill orders since his business is run through Facebook. Many people's businesses went down and even Facebook employees themselves couldn't enter their own buildings or conference room. And that's because their digital badges wouldn't work. Given the fact that Facebook's reputation already took a hit because of the whistleblower situation, this only served to make them look worse. The reason they went down, according to NPR, is because an update to Facebook's routers that coordinate network traffic went wrong and sent a wave of disruptions through their systems. Since the outage hit the internal systems and employees found it physically difficult to even reach the space where the routers were, this is why the outage lasted so long. And this cost Facebook tens of millions of dollars, which I'm sure is only a drop in the bucket for them. But it certainly gave people another reason to look at Facebook through a not so flattering lens. All in all, I simply do not believe that Facebook has done enough. And honestly, I think they have been a massive detriment to society. And as the Facebook papers continue to unfold this entire situation regarding the whistleblower, I'm sure Facebook is gonna be seen tucking its tail between its legs and trying to hide things more than ever. Truly, I know that this problem, Facebook, is far more complicated than I could even hope to break down in even one or two episodes, but I hope that this may be able to bring some sort of awareness to it and some sort of scope to like the general larger issues and what their past has been like. But with all of that being said, that's where I'm going to end today's episode of The Corporate Casket. So I do hope you enjoyed it. Well, I I mean, I don't think, I hope you don't enjoy it, but I hope you learned something new today. And if you did, make sure you're liking, following, and subscribing. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to spend it here with me to learn about this monstrosity known as Facebook. And I will see you in the next episode. Bye.